0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the picky bookworm podcast, and another first chapter Friday. Every Friday, I grab a self published or indie published book and read you the first chapter. Then I let you know whether I want to read the book or not. Today is Chosen by a Killer by Lori Knave. And this first chapter, you guys, I read the prologue and the first chapter for everybody. And I am telling you, this is shaping up to be a pretty good mystery. I... Don't read a lot of thrillers, even though I love them. I don't read a lot of mysteries, even though I love them. I tend to gravitate towards the fantasy side of everything, but every once in a while, a book catches my interest and it just happens to be a mystery or a thriller. This one shaping up to be both. So guess who just added another book to her TBR? I swear it will forgive me one of these days, but In the meantime, enjoy the first chapter of Chosen by a Killer by Lori Knave. And don't forget to follow the link in the show notes to purchase your own copy if you're interested. I'm sure the author would appreciate it, and I know that she would love the support. So enjoy this first chapter of Chosen by a Killer by Lori Knave. Thanks, guys. Prologue, January theater seating was a macabre choice for a room used to witness an execution. Celia swallowed her nausea as she walked past several worn chairs, selecting one in the front row. The creaking of seats unfolding behind her were like scratches on a chalkboard. The closed curtains behind the glass were a muted pattern of maroon and navy blue left over from the 1990s. Celia's gaze dropped to the dark, sensible pumps she wore, willing the curtain to stay closed. Voices whispered behind her, but Celia listened to her breathing. She didn't want to know what the voices were saying. The murders, the scandals, the stories—none of that mattered to Celia. Her friend was about to die. Light falling over her shoes meant the curtains had opened. Look up, Celia thought. Look at her. Her gaze lifted just in time to see Natasha's head turned toward her. The two women, one seated in front of the glass— and one lying on the gurney behind the glass, barely nodded at each other. An orderly stood over Natasha and inserted an intravenous line into her right arm. Celia winced as her own right arm twitched. She blinked and held her arm protectively as the same orderly walked to the opposite side of the gurney and inserted an additional line into Natasha's left arm. The inmate has waved her right to a final statement. Natasha was still watching her. The actress smiled at Celia, and Celia mirrored her expression. When Natasha made a fist, Celia gripped the arm of her chair. The fast-acting barbiturate came first. Its job was to render the inmate unconscious. Celia watched Natasha relax, and she looked away when the actress closed her eyes. She knew what came next—a paralytic, and then the poison— Someone behind a thin wall was pressing a series of pumps, and her friend would quietly suffer cardiac arrest. In four counts, out four counts. Celia breathed robotically, watching the second hand jerk slowly. With every movement, her heart rate accelerated, even as her friend's heart slowed. Four minutes after she closed her eyes, the physician and warden pronounced Natasha Bronlov dead from a lethal injection. The orderly disconnected the lines as the curtains began to close. "'Not yet!' Celia pressed the glass as the room tilted. She swallowed bile, and she was certain the others observing could hear the ringing in her ears. "'Can you stand?' Keith was beside her. She nodded and allowed him to help her out of the creaky chair. They walked up the concrete steps and out the door. "'Are you okay?' But Celia didn't hear him. She was already stumbling toward the ladies' room. She slammed the stall door and began retching as she bent over the toilet. After the wave passed, Celia leaned against the stall door. There was no way she was sitting on the dirty floor in her suit. She bent over further, putting her head between her knees as she fought another wave. Except for the ringing in her ears, it was quiet. That could have been me." Chapter 1 September. I swear to God, if that blowhard made me miss my flight. Celia jogged to her gate, cursing the CEO she'd just interviewed, and was relieved to see that people were still boarding. As she flashed the attendant her boarding pass and headed down the jetway, her cell phone rang. It was her boss, John, micromanaging again. Celia Brockwell. Hey, you on your way back yet? How was the interview? Did he cave? And boarding the plane, John. Good, so you got the story? I always get the story. Can this wait? It's been a long day. Just checking, he chuckled. This is the biggest thing we've got this week. It's under control. You've got your lead story, and he's going to need more lawyers. Good. As I said, you're the biggest one we've got, as usual. I like to make sure. I heard you the first time, John. Celia rolled her eyes. I've got it, John. Look the flight attendant is walking this way. Cell phones have to be off now. Without waiting for an answer, she ended the call and dropped the phone into her briefcase. Don't you hate these small planes? The older lady beside her remarked. No business class. They aren't built for comfort, that's for sure. Celia adjusted a small neck pillow. You're smart, sleeping through takeoff. It always makes me nervous. She rifled through her purse. Gum? It keeps your ears from popping. Thank you. Celia took a piece. As the attendant droned on about safety and oxygen masks, Celia tried a power nap. Dozing kept her anxiety at bay. Strange that she still felt it after a decade of flying. Takeoff and landing is the worst, she told a therapist years before. It's because you aren't in control. That was the therapist's $200 an hour conclusion. Celia glanced over at the older woman, who was engrossed in a book— then she pulled out her tablet and opened her interview notes. As she listened to the interview recording, she began a loose outline for the article she would write about the corrupt businessman. Hayward Ingleson had been skittish at first. He was under investigation for more than a few violations, from ethics to corporate regulations, and he was defensive. They always were in the beginning. "'Your career has been successful, and your longe- longevity impressive, Mr. Ingleson,' Don't you think the business world, your colleagues, would benefit from hearing your story? I mean, you've been a leader and a mentor for so long. I think they need to hear your voice amid all this noise, don't you? Celia smiled as she listened to Hayward begin talking. The tactic worked. As always, the best way to lower the guard of a narcissist was to tell him how important he is, and let him think you're on his side. They can't resist talking about themselves." So, what do you think about this assertion that transferring Lydia Gross was an ethics violation, based on your prior involvement? Hayward was still pontificating when Celia slipped in the first tough question, and he just kept going. By the time Hayward realized Celia wasn't on his side, he'd said too much. All she had to do was spin his words back to him, and after an hour, there was enough for a leave story." He was furious, of course, and his backpedaling had nearly made her miss her flight. Arrogant bastard. "'Aren't you Celia Brockwell?' an attendant asked as she served drinks. "'I am,' Celia smiled. "'I'd like a Chardonnay.' "'Oh my goodness, I love your articles. I'm taking classes part-time to become a writer. I would love to do what you do, traveling all over, writing important stories. "'I do love my job.' "'I bet you do. Any tips for a new writer?' "'Work your ass off,' Celia laughed. Celia sipped the wine as the attendant walked away. "'There's no way she's a writer. "'Maybe a future mommy blogger, but not a journalist. "'Too much sorority and not enough spine.' "'Remembering her own brief sorority experience,' Celia chuckled. "'It had been at her mother's insistence. "'She was a legacy. "'Maybe it would look good on her resume, "'especially if Celia was an officer.' but Celia dropped out her sophomore year. Thursday night swap parties and gossip were not her things, and the restrictions were stifling. Not to mention the president was a pretentious bitch. After she quit, Muffy, or whatever her name was, spread the rumor that Celia was the sorority slut. Celia had her chance to get back at Greek Life the next year, however, when a pledge accused a senior fraternity member of sexual assault, a guy who also happened to be the president's boyfriend. The fraternity and sorority had sided with him, and they blackballed the poor pledge. So much for sisterhood. Then a few more girls came forward, and Celia wrote a scathing article in the campus paper demanding that the university take action. In the end, the senior was expelled and charged, and Celia was the new chief editor of the newspaper her senior year. Mom was right. Greek life was a benefit after all. And look where I am now. "'So, you are Miss Brockwell, the middle-aged man across from her said. "'The one and only—' Celia kept scrolling. "'Still at the journal?' She looked up then. The blonde man looked familiar, and his suit was expensive and well-fitted. "'Still there. And you are?' "'William Keller, CEO of—' "'Multicorp, yes. I thought you looked familiar.' She shook his hand. "'I didn't mean to interrupt your research. It looks serious.' "'There's always work to do,' she turned over the tablet. "'I'm sure it's the same for you.' "'Definitely. You're quite the writer. Very astute and straightforward.' "'Thank you.' "'It's rare to read a story that isn't editorialized or emotionally manipulated these days.' "'True.' Celia slipped her, sipped her Chardonnay. "'I'll let like you get back to work.' "'William closed his eyes.' By the time the plane began its descent, Celia had a tight outline of the article, along with a list of damning quotes from Mr. Ingleson. John would run it as the lead, and Celia would probably have another award to hang on her wall. God bless corruption. The airport arrival area was crowded. However, Bart waved to get Celia's attention once she rounded the corner toward the exit. She smiled and waved back. He'd insisted on picking her up, even though they'd only had a couple of dates. How was your flight? Bart took her bag. It was fine. You didn't have to meet me here. I could have taken a cab. You had a long day. I didn't want you to have to fight for one. Thanks. I am a little tired. Celia slid into the passenger seat as Bart put her bag in the trunk. Are you hungry or do you just want to go home? I just want to get comfortable. Home is fine. While Bart navigated rush hour traffic, Celia listened to him prattle on about his job, a new intern, and his great golf game. He pointed out a couple of places that had good takeout, but Celia ignored the hint. She wasn't in the mood for company or romance. When they arrived at her place, he hopped out and grabbed her luggage. I'd ask you in, but I'm just beat. Celia smiled as Bart handed her the overnight bag. Are we still in for dinner tomorrow at seven? Sure thing. Bart kissed her lightly. Get some rest. Lucille, Celia's neighbor, greeted her as she walked toward the house. Hello, dear. Have a good trip. "'I did. Glad to be home.' "'I have your mail ready. I can go get it now for you.' Lucille left before Celia could comment. "'Thank you,' Celia took the stack. "'Here you go, dear. Have a good evening.' After dropping her bag in the foyer, Celia flipped through the mail. There were bills, a couple of catalogs, the usual. Then a manila envelope caught Celia's attention. The address was written in a flowing script, and the postmark was from Delaware. "'Who did Celia know in Delaware?' Then she looked at the return address. There was no name, but there was a place. Baylor Women's Correctional Facility.